We're starting in verse 16, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And if you don't have a Bible this morning and you want an uh, analog Bible, you can grab the one right in front of you. And there's uh, black Bibles in the pews, and it's on page 835. So like uh, Matt said, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it's my honor to talk with you this morning. Uh, we're in our third and final week of our home group launch series for the fall, and we've been calling it Blueprints for Disciples. And we've been also outlining our church vision for this year as well, uh, which you can read along with me, is to grow, you don't have to read it out loud, to grow mature disciples of Jesus by equipping God's people to speak God's word in loving relationship to one another and to our neighbors. So for the last two weeks, we've discussed why we are to make disciples as well as how we can make disciples. Uh, and I'd encourage you, if you, haven't, if you weren't here, go back and listen to those. Um, and those kind of provide the foundation for what we're even doing here. But this week, we're going to talk about where we should make disciples. So I'm doing a little pre-sermon giveaway. Um, first person who can guess the answer to where we should make disciples, I'm going to let you leave early to go get ready for the Seahawks game. Everywhere. All right, man. We'll see you. Enjoy the game. Yeah, so basically my task today is to Walk through the simple truth that it is everywhere that we are to make disciples. Um, and if you're in a home group, you'll find um, we, we wrote out a nice uh, manual or, you know, guidebook to the home groups for this season. And basically, we've geared all of the aspects of what a home group is and does toward this end, toward discipling one another, as well as discipling our neighbors toward Christ. Um, so to figure out where we are to make disciples, we are going to take a look at what's known as the Great Commission. Uh, each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as well as the book of Acts, contains a commission of Jesus to his disciples describing what they are now to do. But the, the most well-known of these is the Great Commission in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. So let's go ahead and read that together, and then we'll pray. So Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, please be with us as we dwell in your word, dwell on your word, and um, hear from you. Free us from distraction. Lord, enable us to take this seriously, um, to hear from you directly without any hindrance or obstacle. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, did you catch what happened immediately before Jesus gave his commission? It's really kind of interesting and almost shocking that it's even here. Verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Why is that there? Did Matthew, like, accidentally put that in there? It doesn't seem like the right thing to put there. Remember, these are people who are literally seeing the resurrected from the dead, Jesus, in the flesh, face to face, right in front of their eyes. And then it says they doubted. But this should be encouraging to us this morning as we read this, as we seek to know what we are to do with the gospel. Because if, if even the f- people that saw him face to face after he rose from the dead doubted, then how much encouragement and how much should we not be surprised when we are faced with difficulty, doubt, and, you know, to give them some credit, this word doesn't mean they doubted he was real. Like, they're like, "Ah, I don't think he's actually there. I don't think he actually rose from the dead. It's more that they hesitated. You know, they, they were faced with the risen Jesus, but they're like, okay, but I still don't really know what to do about this. They wavered. Um, the only other place that this word doubt is used in the New Testament is when Jesus says, uh, back when, let's see, I think when Peter fell in the water, when he's walking on water, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so what Peter did is he hesitated, he wavered, he got distracted, he didn't really keep his focus on Christ. And so we should be encouraged because how much, how often do we lose our focus? How often do we, yes, we have the knowledge that Jesus did what he did and said what he said and is who he is, and yet we waver, we hesitate, we doubt. And many of us might be even in that place today. We gather together on Sunday morning with Jesus, we see Jesus. We might even worship Jesus, but we also doubt. We also hesitate. We aren't confident in sharing about Jesus with others around us. But the awesome thing about Jesus is he doesn't leave his disciples in that place. He opens his mouth and addresses the very area they most needed to hear about. He tells them how to be, how to go, how to live what to do with this unbelievable knowledge of a risen Savior. So what we learn from Jesus' words today is that as Christians, we should desire to make disciples of the people we meet. It's that simple. We should desire to make disciples of the people we meet. Firstly, because all people need Jesus. Secondly, because all people in Seattle need Jesus. But thirdly, because everything we need, all of the power we need to do this is available in Jesus. So first, we should make disciples or desire to make disciples of the people we meet because all people need Jesus. Look at this claim that Jesus makes in verse 18. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
He declares himself as the holder of all the cards, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the boss of bosses, the president of presidents, the judge of judges, the CEO of CEOs. He's the one. He's the one to whom all people must give an account in the end. So why does Jesus get all of this authority? You know, why does he get it and no one else? Paul describes the unique uh, trajectory of Jesus in uh, Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about how Jesus, before he became a man, he was in the form of God. He is the pre-incarnate word of God. He created the world. He was here forever. But he emptied himself in order to become a man and ultimately die a criminal's death in order to accomplish the salvation of all people who would believe in his name. And that includes us. Therefore, because of this, Paul says, God the Father raised him from the dead in order to glorify him and hand him all of the authority in heaven and on earth that we're talking about right here today. So some might say, wow, Jesus, this is bold. This is a man commanding the proselytization of every human being who will ever live on this planet to become disciples of him. Wow, that's some audacity. But, and it it is bold, that is, unless he is actually worthy of the worship of an entire universe, and unless he actually gave his life to save ours, and unless he actually emptied himself in order to reconcile us to God, unless he was actually raised from the dead and is who he says he is. And if all that is true, then he is worth following. Then he is worth the worship of us. And by golly, you and I both need him desperately. So all people need Jesus, which firstly, we have to you know, get to first. This includes us. We need Jesus. This realization of our own need for him is where we always start and always come back to in our sharing Jesus with others. Have you tasted the goodness of Jesus? Has he been good to you? Has he provided for you? I've discovered in my life that the only times that I feel confident and comfortable sharing Jesus with other people in good conscience is when I am actually experiencing a real dynamic relationship with him. It's not when I'm in a place of keeping the rules. It's not when I'm in a place of just going through the motions. It's when I'm in an actual place where I'm communing with Jesus myself. That's the only time I feel like I can actually share him with others. It can't be just that I want others to know that I'm right or that I want to just lay my opinions on others or that I have all the right answers. I have to want them to know the Jesus I know, to be loved and known by the only person who loves and knows them fully. This whole making disciples thing that we've been going through, this is not an obligation 
only. This is an honor and a joy to be able to be given the opportunity to share something with others that's the most intense and important thing they could ever experience. Because if a relationship with the living and loving God is really available and is really that good, then how can I not desire to share it with anyone and everyone? We are all evangelists. So what's the last thing that you evangelized? It might have been the iPhone 10 or XS Plus, let's see, the new iPhone, or what's that? Yeah, the dinner spot you found, maybe your latest Netflix find. We, we all do this. It's just something that we do. We tell people about the thing that's exciting us in this moment. Uh, I once in high school landed a job selling Cutco kitchen knives. So I went through the week of training where they teach you how to do all the, the demonstration, like taking their scissors and cutting a penny, stuff like that. Amazing. Infomercial type stuff. So I went through the training. I was all equipped. And then at the end, they're like, okay, now it's time. Go ahead and call your grandma and try and sell it to her. And I just could not do it. I did not care. I, I could not put myself in front of my grandma or my aunt and try and sell her something that I didn't care about at all. It just wasn't worth it to me. But we all evangelize what excites us. Clearly, Cutco knives did not excite me. Although they're really cool. They have a patented technology that is just incredible. They last so long. My mom will sell them to you if you want. (laughs) But we all do this. It's natural. So what we might need to be asking ourselves is, why has it been so long since I told someone about the thing in my life that's actually the most important thing in my life? Am I actually enjoying a real relationship with Jesus, or am I just going through the motions? Because if I was, I'd probably be excited about it. Yeah. Because, yeah, for me, I, I only ever want, want to make disciples when I am experiencing deep joy in that relationship. That's where the motivation comes, from recognizing that, yes, all people need Jesus, but I need Jesus. I need him. And once we get back to that place of gratitude and enjoyment of the reconciled relationship we have with God through Christ, we are ready to present that good news to others. Because then it's actually good news. What's that? Just keep listening. But we're ready to present the good news because it's not just beliefs. It's not just, let me just set this on you so that you will be right like me. This is good news. It just bubbles up out of us in that case. But, you know, so we need Jesus. And for some of us, that's the easy part. Like, we know we need Jesus. We're desperate for him. Like, we need him badly. But the hard part for some is telling others that they need Jesus. 
But if Jesus is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, then we can have confidence that everyone else needs him too. Jesus didn't say in verse 18, I have all authority over whoever and whatever wants me to have authority over them. He didn't say, I have authority over you if that's okay or if that's good for you. No, he just does. And the truth is, and it's in the same passage in Philippians 2 that we mentioned earlier, that eventually every knee will bow to Jesus, it says. Every knee. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, which was a mantra way back when um, that the, in the Roman Empire they used to say Caesar is Lord. And that was indicative of a universal lordship. But no, Caesar wasn't Lord. No one else is Lord except for Jesus. But many of us modern folks were into the idea that truth is whatever each person wants it to be for them. You know, we, we might share with someone about our faith and they say, that's awesome. Oh, my word, that's amazing for you. That is so really, really cool for you. I just really, that really touches me for you. I'm glad for you. I'm good. You know, I personally, I'm doing good without that. And I hope you enjoy it. Bye. That's what, that's just the culture we live in. We're so spiritual. We're so into this for you. That's great. And then we, we sit there and we cower and we don't say anything because we're afraid. But the real truth, if we're going to get, if we're going to accept the truth that Jesus is presenting today, is that he is the one to whom all people should be turning for hope in this world. This means everyone. And this is where it gets nice and controversial. This includes all those who are devoted to other religions. This includes those devoted to Buddhism, to Islam, to Hinduism, to Judaism. All people need Jesus. This includes those who think religion is all a bunch of baloney. This includes your uncle who just hates Christians or your coworker. This includes everyone. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that all those who do not believe in him remain under the wrath of God. So that means that according to the Bible, according to Jesus, the it's good for you belief that many in our culture and, and even many of us can tend to hold, that's the belief that's a bunch of baloney. It is not good for anyone to not believe in Jesus. It's not healthy. <laughs> and that sounds really exclusive, right? And worse, it might sound really narrow. And it's true. It is narrow. Jesus recommends in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The gate is narrow because it's a person. And his name is Jesus. 
He's the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. But the gate isn't narrow in that only a few are invited. All are invited. All men, all women, all nations, without distinction. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your natural desires are. It doesn't matter what your struggles are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are invited. Even if you aren't a Christian and you are someone that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, you're invited. You are invited to enter that narrow gate, which is him. And so we desire to make disciples of the people we meet because all people need him. Need him. And you might be thinking, there is no way I'm going to make disciples of everyone I meet. That's just not possible. Jesus would not ask me to do that. And you're right. You can't make disciples of every person you meet. But what we need to cultivate is a posture towards all people. A willingness to go there with anybody. A goal for all people to know God's love. There isn't one person you meet that you shouldn't be willing to share the gospel with. God has this posture towards all people. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved. Our desire for each person is that they'd know the goodness of Jesus for themselves. And you never know which person, as you go along, God will give you the opportunity to bring directly to him. But it means you're probably praying for more than you are now. More than I am now. This means that we can walk confidently in sharing Jesus with all people because this is exactly what God is doing and what he is up to. This is his mission. So, secondly, we should desire to make disciples of the people we meet because all people in Seattle need Jesus. You might wonder why I chose to make an entire point about Seattle. Well, let's, let's reread verse 19 and into 20, and we'll find out. So, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we read that and we think, that's something that some people are supposed to do because the first word there is go. You have to, you have to go somewhere to do this. And I'm not going anywhere because why would anyone want to leave Seattle? I've lived in Seattle my whole life. There's no way I want to live anywhere else. I might visit, but I don't want to leave. But we have to understand, firstly, that although some, and Lord willing, many, are called to leave their home country and go across the sea, across the world, these guys definitely were for the sake of the gospel. You have to understand that this command that we're reading in verse 19 is for all Christians, not just the Christians that are called to foreign missions. That's the first thing. But secondly, the going here, the, the verb here 
go. It's a secondary verb in this verse. And let me explain. Did you go make breakfast this morning? Are you going to work tomorrow? Yes. When you find yourself working tomorrow, you went. The commute, the going and all that, that's assumed if you're working. If you meet someone that isn't yet a disciple of Jesus Christ, you, you've gone. You're there. The going here is assumed. Remember, these are people where the gospel had never been anywhere. So the going here is assumed. What all of us Christians are called to is the making of disciples. And technically, the only imperative verb in the grammar here is to make disciples. And the going and the baptizing and the teaching all happens. But that's secondary to the making of disciples. So the question is, where? Where do I go to make disciples? Well, let's look at the verse. It says, go therefore and make disciples where? All nations. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Where is Seattle? Is it included in all nations? Would you say? Yes. And are there people from all nations in Seattle? More and more. There you go. You're here. You've already gone. You're in a nation, and you're in a city in a nation that desperately needs Jesus. I love verse 19 because it covers the whole gamut of the Christian life. You know, first, it says disciples must be made. You know, people need to hear the good news of Jesus and make a decision to submit their lives to him. But then they're baptized. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that word in is more like into. So it's an initiation. It's, it's a beginning. Baptism is a public declaration of allegiance to Jesus, an identification with him in his death and his resurrection. It signifies the start of this lifelong learnership of Jesus. But the process doesn't end there until he goes on. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The disciples must continue to be discipled. Why is that? The reason is because we are not disciples of a set of beliefs. We are not disciples of a set of rules that we can master and then move on. We are disciples of a person. And so we must be taught to obey all the commands of Christ. And this is the rest of life. And this is something you don't ever really master until you're with him. And so when we look at the countless people that we know and that we run into in Seattle that need Jesus, it can be overwhelming. But we can take heart that this is a step-by-step-by-step process. Think of your own salvation, especially if you came to know Christ later on, not just as a kid. How many little conversations, how many little moments added up to where you are now? 
And even past that, how many little conversations, how many little steps add up to where you are now? Every little step towards Christ is important. And we get to participate in that. But it's not, it's not always a big jump. Most of, the, most of the time, it's step by step. One author writes, and I love this. I don't actually know if it's a guy or gal. They say, don't be gazing at that mountain or river in the distance and say, how shall I ever get over them? But keep to the present little inch that is before you and accomplish that in the moment that belongs to it. The mountain and the river can only be passed in the same way. And when you come to them, you will come to the light and strength that belong to them. Jesus is only asking us to be faithful in the present, in the little inch that he has given us. Whether it's where you work, where you live, who you bump into tomorrow on your way to work, or whatever. Who do you know? Who do you run into that you can engage with in the love of Jesus? Who can you reach out to simply for the sake of loving them in his name? Who do you know that needs to hear that blessed truth of the good news of what Jesus has done for them? Keep in mind that all of this, it is God who causes growth. It is God who provides opportunities. It is God who is saving souls. We cannot do that. Most of the time, you won't be able to take any credit for anyone coming to Jesus because it's clear that he's been doing things all along. There's a part of me that feels weird when I meet people and I and I, you know, and I'm looking at someone that I just met or whatever, and, and thinking of them as someone I can convert to Christianity. Can you guys relate with that? Um, it feels weird, like I have an agenda to my relationship with this person. <clears throat> but I've realized, as I've, as, I, as I've thought about it, that that is not the right way to think about this. That's thinking of this again as a set of beliefs to try and lay on as many people as I can, making sure they know that I'm right and they were wrong. But if this whole thing is about introducing people to a person, then that changes everything. If you're a Christian here this morning, imagine if your parents or a friend or whoever ended up leading you to Jesus refrained from telling you about him because they didn't want you to think that they only loved you for you to become a Christian? That's just silly. Because this is something that, in the grand scheme of things, is the best thing that could happen to anybody ever. And do we actually even believe that? But, of course, we can fall into looking at people just sort of just as a number or just as a lost person who needs, you know, salvation and miss seeing them with the eyes of Jesus himself. Because when Jesus looked at someone, he didn't just see someone who was wrong, someone who's, who needs him, someone who, who's broken. He saw their whole selves. And that's where this in loving relationship comes in. 
Which brings me to my third and last point, which is we should desire to make disciples of the people we meet because all of the power we need is available in Jesus. Look at there in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't you just love what he says there in verse 20? He is with us always to the end of the age. This is the fourth, the fourth all in this passage. You know, it started out with Jesus has all the authority, and then he says, go make disciples of all nations. And then he says, teaching them to, com- to obey all that I have commanded you. And now he says, but don't worry. I am with, if- with you all of the days. Every day. I love what one commentator says about this. They say, this isn't so much a cozy reassurance as it is a necessary equipment for mission. So this isn't just for us to say, oh, that's so nice that Jesus is with me. Ah, that feels good. No, we could not do this unless he was with us. The truth is, we cannot do this on our own. On our own, there is no way we could strike the perfect balance of gospel truth and selfless love towards people. We can't just pick up this mission without receiving the present help of the risen Jesus who by his, ho- by his own declaration remains with us for all time by his Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't mean for us to do this on our own. So once you discover the intense goodness of Jesus for yourself and realize that he is what everyone else needs too, then all that is left to be done is to ask him for opportunities to point others to him. All the time. Any chance you get. I'm serious. We can be bold to ask him for opportunities to converse with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with our baristas, with our next-door neighbors about him. You will be amazed. If you ask him, at the opportunities he will lead you into. And when you ask, be sure to ask for wisdom on how best to engage with people because God will give it to you generously. Ask for love for people because his love is poured out in our hearts by his spirit. Ask for boldness to walk through the doors that he will open for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ask for strength for being out of your comfort zone. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. And ask for gentleness to say things kindly, because that is a fruit of his very spirit. And after you ask the Lord for those opportunities, pay close attention, because he's going to bring them. And I'm telling you that both your selfishness and the devil will try and derail those efforts. But that's when the beautiful power of the Holy Spirit comes into play. And seriously, you will be blown away. It's, it's, it's exciting. I'm going to tell you a couple stories to illustrate that it is when 
And it is the Holy Spirit just clearing the path when these things happen. One time I, I was at work. I'm a nurse. And if any of you do shift work, like you like to get off on time and go when you're done. Um, for you salary people, you know, you got to stay the whole, the whole night. It's fine. Um, but shift workers, you want to just get off and go, right? Um, but one night or one day, uh, we had a patient who ended up needing to stay and get admitted to the hospital. And so, you know, it takes a while to find a bed in the hospital. And so I had to stay two hours past my end shift time. And, oh, man, you know, mm, so frustrating. Um, what's that? OT is right. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'll get to that. Um, so yeah, you're staying, you're, you're just like, okay. So finally, two hours later, I get off, and because of the OT, I take an Uber. Uh, and I only take Uber when I get OT. So I took an Uber home. It only takes 10 minutes, and I've told this story before, but this really illustrates what we're talking about. Um, in, the Uber driver, or <laughs> in the Uber driver's car, um, we ended up striking up a conversation I don't remember how, but he ended up asking me if I like the Old Testament or the New Testament better in the Bible. And I was like, good question. Um, probably the New Testament because it reveals, you know, who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means. Um, and so we just kind of started talking about that. And the whole time I'm, or at least in the beginning, I'm like tired, frustrated, want to get home, just had to stay late. But... As this conversation unfolded, my attention started actually being there. And at the end of the trip, and keep in mind, this is a 10-minute ride. It's really not long at all. He, he says, you know, I believe that, and I want to become a Christian. And I was like, what? This doesn't happen. And so he, we prayed outside my house for him to become a Christian, I gave him my contact and see ya. But that's an illustration of it's when the, the opportunity for my flesh to say no and for, for my tiredness and my frustration to, to kind of say, like, ah, I don't really want to talk right now. But that's when the Holy Spirit just went, boom, Nick. Your, your selfishness, I don't care. I'm going to put this in your life. And you can either walk through it or you, or you won't. But he will provide that opportunity. And all you have to do is walk through it. But it's with his power. And clearly, I cannot take any credit for that because he was just led step by step by step by step by step to that point. And, but then God blessed me with the opportunity to take part in that final step. Or not even final step, of course but that step where he submitted himself to the Lord. One other story. I have a friend who, who I've just been getting to know, and it so happens that um, throughout my day, I, I would pass his desk, and one day, I really just wanted to take a nap on my break because we get an hour. It's pretty awesome. Um, and so you can eat and then take a little nap. So I'm just kind of moseying back to take a nap, and I realize I'm going to pass this person's desk. I'll probably have to talk to them, uh, but I actually just kind of want to take a nap. 
But I really felt the Lord say, don't be selfish. Maybe you'll get a nap, maybe not, but pass by the desk. And so I was like, okay, pass by the desk. And it so happened that that day was the day that he, and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, gave me the opportunity to share Jesus with this person, like in the most clear way I had up until that point. But it was only because he enabled me to say no to that nap. (laughs) So all of those things to say, when you ask for opportunities, you will also be faced with things to say no to and, and selfishness to, to set aside in order to walk through those doors. And you might be in a place where you're just not feeling this. This whole making disciples, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel thing is a burden. It's stressful. So what I'd encourage you with this morning is to stop staring at the task Instead of staring at the task, stare at Jesus. Stare at him until your need for him outweighs your sight of yourself. Stare at him until you can confidently believe that all people, including yourself, need him desperately. Ask him to restore the joy, the peace, the overwhelming confidence in your own salvation. Ask him to show you how good he has been to you. Return, O my soul, to your rest, the psalmist says, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. If Jesus really has all authority in heaven and earth, let us no longer hesitate. Let us no longer waver. Let us worship the King of kings, enjoying his presence with us while desiring all people to know him, while desiring to make disciples of those we meet. Let's remember our neediness for Jesus and his meeting our needs with himself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in the grand scheme of things, you are in control. You are in authority in heaven and on earth. And thank you that you have given us the opportunity to take part in other people coming to know that truth. Lord, let us not get swept away in the, the things that say that that is not a good thing to do or you know, the culture that says that truth is whatever we want it to be. But let us just look at you. Let us look at you and receive an intense outpouring of your spirit who gives us joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, love and self-control. Lord, as we as we seek to broaden our horizon of people that need you, Lord, broaden our love for all these people. I'll broaden our love for each other. Broaden our posture 
to the world that says, that doesn't say they're not good enough or they, they are going to hell in a handbasket. Let us be inviting. Let us be welcoming. Let us be imploring, as Paul says, for people to be reconciled to God. Thank you for the opportunity. And God, I, I want to ask for opportunities, plural, for each person here to be able to take part in this process, knowing that it's all you who enables. It's all you who does the work. We just get to take part. Lord, and for those who might be discouraged or, or even just unsure, Lord, give us confidence. Help us to know our own need for you. In your name we pray. Amen.